Hello and welcome to Cavalcade of America from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Good evening, friends. This is Walter Houston. Tonight, I think we have an ideal combination for you on our DuPont Cavalcade. In the first place, our star is an old favorite of yours and a good friend of mine, Robert Montgomery. Bob is making his first radio appearance since being placed on inactive duty by the United States Navy. We all know Bob Montgomery's brilliant work as an actor, and most of us have also followed his career as a fighting man in this war. His record for more than four years of service with the forces of three of the United Nations. In our play tonight couldn't be better suited to our star because it's a story about our Navy in an earlier war. It's called The Admiral. The Admiral, starring Robert Montgomery, is brought to you by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. Incidentally, DuPont has just gotten out a new booklet for car owners. The title is Take Care of Your Cooling System. And that's just what its 24 pages tell you how to do. There are lots of illustrations in color, and the whole book is planned to help you avoid cold weather troubles in the cooling system of your car. We'll be glad to send you a copy free. Just mail a postcard to Radio Section, DuPont Company, Wilmington, 98, Delaware. Fifty years ago, our Navy was small, yet even then, some men knew the day would come when we would have to fight in every ocean. One of them was Admiral George Dewey. The man who first took our feet into the Philippines. And now the DuPont Company presents Robert Montgomery as George Dewey in Arthur Allen's radio play, The Admiral. December 7th, 1897. More than 40 years later, another December 7th was a day of infamy. But destiny had also selected that December day in 1897. For up the gangplank of the Pacific steamer Gaelic, in the harbor of San Francisco, strode a gray-haired military man, George Dewey, commodore in the United States Navy, on his way to take command of the Asiatic Squadron. On the deck of the Gaelic, flanked by his two lieutenants, the commander gazed at the hills of San Francisco and talked with a few naval officers who were there to bid him farewell. Two years. 8,000 miles from home. I don't envy you, sir. You don't, eh? Well, we're glad to be going. Right, Brumby and Caldwell? Right, sir. I've always wanted to see Japan, sir. And who knows what can happen in two years. Well, that's true. You're going to miss the fun if there's war with Spain. There won't be much action in the Pacific. I disagree with you, sir. Well, I, I only meant, Commodore, that the best part of the Spanish fleet is in and around Cuba. Right? But the first and most important round will be fought in the Philippines. The Philippines, Commodore? I know it's not the most popular opinion in the Navy, but it's my opinion, and it's Theodore Roosevelt's opinion. Well, anyway, sir, you'll have a beautiful flagship, the Olympia. Where's she stationed now? Yokohama Bay. I'll relieve Admiral McNair there. Well, that reminds me, sir. I don't mean to be forward, but it seems strange they didn't make you a rear admiral when they appointed you to this command. It's customary, isn't it? Yes, it's customary. But I have one great consolation. What's that, sir? 
Well, in the Asiatic Command, I am the first Commodore since Perry. But Commodore Perry did pretty well. A few weeks later in Yokohama Bay, ceremonies were completed aboard the flagship Olympia. And Commodore Dewey was in command of the Asiatic Squadron. Then in Tokyo, Dewey with United States Ambassador Buck rides to the Imperial Palace for his first ceremonial call on the Emperor of Japan. Well, Commodore, why do you think of Japan? It's amazing. From what little I've seen, they've done miracles in the 50 years since Perry opened them up. They must be an extraordinary people. They are. Very pleasant and friendly. <laughs> Certainly. It pays dividends. What do you know about Japan, Commodore? <laughs> I've read Lafcadio Hearn, of course. And I once had a Japanese servant. His name was uh, Ito. Very good chap. Knew his business. He liked to putter around with ship models. What happened to him? He, uh, he resigned. <laughs> of course, I've read Admiral Mahan's book. He thinks we ought to have a string of island bases clear across the Pacific. Don't you? I don't know yet. Not if, now, they're all as willing and decent as my friend Ito. Commodore, 300 years ago, these Japs had a warlord. His name was Hideyoshi. He started out to conquer the world. First Korea, and then China. Oh, there have been a lot of would-be world conquerors. <laughs> Certainly. But they all gave up. The Japs had merely postponed it. Maybe. But if they're all like Ito, why... Oh, looks like we're here. Uh, this will be the naval delegation to escort us into the Emperor. Now be careful. Rigid formality. Polite, but not too. <clears throat> ah, Commander Yasuri. May I present Commodore Dewey, Commander-in-Chief of the Asiatic Squadron. Oh, yes. It is indeed a pleasure, Commodore. Thank you, sir. On behalf of my country and myself, I... For the love of Pete, Commodore, stop staring at him. Say something. I beg your pardon, Commander, but I didn't catch your name. Yasui. Commander Yasui of the Imperial Japanese Navy. It is indeed a, a pleasure, Commodore. You come uh, this way, please. Well, go ahead and follow him. What are you trying to do, start an international incident? What's happening to you? Nothing. Nothing at all. Except it might interest you to know that Commander Yasui is my old friend Ito, the fellow who was so interested in ship models. Eighteen ninety-eight. In Cuba, insurrection. In the Philippines, revolt. In the courts of Europe, intrigue. In Hong Kong Harbor, Com Commodore Dewey and his friends attend a dinner given by Prince Henry. Admiral of the Imperial German Asiatic Squadron on the battleship Deutschland. Gentlemen, be seated, please. Glasses will be filled, and then we will have another toast. Uh, your ship's band did credit to my country's anthem, Prince Henry, and to my queen. Thank you, Captain Chichester. Next to our own hymn, our band is most acquainted with God Save the King. Uh, by the way, Commodore Dewey. Yes, Your Highness. I have been wanting to ask you, do you Americans really expect 
Spaniard. I wasn't aware, Your Highness, that there was a state of war. Not yet, not yet. But soon, I suppose. Tell me, uh, what will you do? Well, I'll move into Manila Bay, of course, and clean out the Spanish fleet in 24 hours. Go right in, eh? Part of the minefield. Minefields? We had an admiral once named Farragut. You know what he said? I cannot say that I do. He said, damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. I see. Full speed ahead. Hmm? Well, gentlemen, another toast. Shall we stand? I propose a toast, gentlemen, to the Tsar of Russia. Your Highness. Yes, Commodore. May I remind Your Highness, in accordance with diplomatic custom, I intend no disrespect to the ruler of Russia, but the commander of the Russian fleet present here is outranked by me, and therefore the first you toast... You are right, Commodore, you are right. Yes, I was confused. I was thinking of the nations alphabetically, as uh, we spell them in German. Yes, gentlemen, I propose a toast to the President of the United States. Thank you, gentlemen. And now, the national anthem of the United States. Henry, the national anthem of my country is the Star Spangled Banner. It is not Hail Columbia. And because I think this insult to my country is intentional, my officers and I are denying ourselves the further hospitality of the German Navy. Gentlemen. Yes, Commodore. Commodore, your country is not too well known to the world. We are unfamiliar with its song. In that case, I will send your highness a copy of the words and music of the Star Spangled Banner. I might add that they were composed during naval battle with a European power. Come, gentlemen. Come in. Yes, Brumby. Captain Chichester, sir. Chichester, so early in the day. Tell him to come in. Commodore Dewey says to come in, sir. Thank you. Well, Captain... What brings you over here? An errand I very much regret in view of the news. News? That war's begun. You didn't hear? We've had no news. We've been expecting a cable. It must have been delayed, which makes my errand even more difficult. You see, I received a cable this morning from the Secretary of State for the Colonies. I have to read it to you. Very well, read it, Captain. It says, we are informed that a state of war exists between Spain and the United States of America. It has begun. Give immediate notice to the commanders of all ships of the belligerents within the waters of this colony that they will be good enough to leave the waters of this colony not later than 4 p.m. on Monday the 25th. The cable was sent by Major General Black, administering the government. Yes, I see. Naturally, since England is a neutral power... Commodore Dewey... There's no need for you to be distressed, Captain. It's proper that England should serve this notice. And since we are at war... The American fleet will be leaving anyway for the Philippines. So, on April the 25th, 1898, the American Asiatic Squadron sailed out of Hong Kong bound for the Philippines. On that same morning, in the quarters of Admiral Prince Henry, aboard his flagship, the Deutschland, 
Commander Truman. Yeah, Your Highness. I have just sent this cable to the Chantry in Berlin, Commander. I read it. The United States fleet this morning sailed for the Philippines. The Philippines are in revolt against Spain and would be glad to place themselves under the protection of a European power, especially Germany. I wait instructions. So, you think our government is interested in this, Your Highness? I am sure they are deeply interested. What instructions will they send at this hour? That the American fleet already sailed? I hope instructions for us to obstruct, embarrass, and impede the American Asiatic fleet in every possible way. And I believe we will get those instructions. Because this is our war, true, Commander. Lieutenant Brumby? Yes, sir. Tell Captain Gridley we go straight in. Have him set his course for Manila Bay. That means we'll arrive up at Doxon. I know it. We'll go straight in. That's right. Commodore, if I may make a suggestion. Certainly, Brumby. We don't know those waters, sir. We'll take soundings as we go. Oh, but the minefields. Commodore, it's well known. They've got the most elaborate setup of any harbor in the Pacific. Brumby, would you like to hear what I think about those minefields? I would, sir. They're just a little too well known. Every naval man in the Far East talks about the Manila minefields. They're the greatest, the most complicated things that ever happened. You know what I think, Brumby? I think they don't exist. But mines or no mines, we're going in. What's that island over there, Slim? Hey, you got a map. Look at it. Tiger man can look at it. What do you got to lose? You'll only get shot. Uh, this is going on without any lights. Give me the willies. I think that island is Corregidor, Joe. There's a minefield. He's worrying about the minefield. Well, what's worse than minefield? A collision, my friend. That sinks two ships. Hey, look at the Commodore up there in the bridge. Wouldn't want to have his worries. Me, I'd rather sleep at night. You're not doing much sleeping tonight. Where do we get through the minefields? If I only knew what they looked like. You men down there. You men down there on that hat. Yes, sir, Commodore. I hear you say something about minefields. Yes, sir. It might interest you to know that I'm going below to take a nap. We passed through those minefields ten minutes ago. We're listening to Robert Montgomery as George Dewey and the Admiral on the Cavalcade of America, brought to you by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. Return to our story, the American squadron has entered Manila Bay. It is almost dawn, and Commodore Dewey and his officers are on the bridge of the Olympia. They are, Commodore, the Spanish fleet. All lined up like ducks on a pond. What do you make of it, Commodore? Let's see now. There's the Reina Cristina, Montoto's flagship, sir. These are the Cuba, the Castilla, the... Can you make out that gunboat, Gridley? Isla de Luzon, I think. They're all there, sir. All eight of them. What time is it, Brumby? 5.38 a.m., sir. Brumby, signal prepared to engage the enemy. I see. Gridley, what's that skulking over there in the shadows? Spanish transport, sir. Probably the men now. Brumby, 
signal, engage the enemy. I said, what time is it now? 5.41. You may fire when ready, Gridley. that he would reduce the defenses of Manila in 24 hours came true. After the Battle of Manila Bay, Dewey blockaded the port. No ship of any nationality could enter or depart without receiving his permission. And then one day, there was a new squadron in the harbor, the Imperial German Asiatic Fleet. Aboard the Olympia, there were questions asked. Well, Gridley, I don't like the smell of it, Commodore. I mean, Admiral. I'm afraid it'll take a little time before I get used to your promotion, sir. I'll take all the time you want, Captain. Isn't that the Deutschland port? It is. Alongside her are the Kaiserin Augusta, the Prince Wilhelm, Kaiser, the Comoran, and half a dozen more. Looks like the whole Blooming Navy's out here. Why, Admiral? I don't know. The outgun is two to one, sir. We're not at war with Germany. Sometimes I almost think we are. They've been disregarding the blockade, ignoring our signals, shooting their searchlights on at night, giving aid and comfort to the enemy. They've gone out of their way to embarrass us, Admiral. We'll stop all that, Gridley. When, Admiral? When they overstep themselves. What's that? Where's it? To port. Looks like a torpedo boat. Right, right. Right, right. Take out that launch to port. Hail them, Brumby. Oh, hail them. Oh, hail They don't have to. They're heading this way full speed. Supposed to Spaniard when we didn't get? I don't think so, Brumby. Put a shot across her bow. Fifth He's still coming, sir. Fire and fire to hit. Fifth on target. Forward. He stopped, sir. They're waving a flag. It's German. Yes. That's what I thought. Oh, boy, why did you fire on me? Bring him aboard, Bumpy. Oh, hold on there. Come aboard. You want me to talk to him, Admiral? I'll do the talking, Bumpy. I'll give an awful lot just to take one crack at him. Take more than that, Bumpy. Stop this nonsense. It's obviously a planned incident. I think they wanted war with him. Why did you fire on me? Why did you? Clarence, you're in the presence of a flag officer of the United States Navy. I've been considered the Imperial German Navy. That's a little better. Now, what do you want? Sir? I wish to know why you fired on a launch from the flagship of Admiral von Dietrich. Oh, that's what that thing is, eh? And I thought it was a torpedo boat. That's a Spanish torpedo boat. I suppose you gentlemen realize there's a war on. Why don't you show your colors, Lieutenant? Admiral von Dietrich is awaiting your apology, sir. He is, is he? Tell me, how did the Admiral find out about it so fast? His Excellency, the Admiral, sir, is below in the launch. Oh. My compliments to His Excellency Admiral von Dietrich, and ask him to be so kind as to come aboard. I'll await him in my cabin. Sit down, won't you, Admiral? I will stand, Admiral Dewey. The Imperial German government must have an apology for this outrageous happening. Furthermore, it is the demand of the Imperial German government... Demand, Admiral Van Dietrich? ...that you take recognition of an act upon certain grievances. I should like to hear them. Does Your Excellency have a list with him? I have. 
You have exercised the right to stop and board all neutral vessels entering Manila Bay. That is not only my right, Admiral, it is my duty. Proceed, if you please. You have assigned us positions at the harbor that prevent our maneuver. You are not supposed to maneuver, sir. You prevent my launches from communicating with the Imperial German Council in Manila. You turn back my transport when all I wish is for a few German soldiers to land at Manila and stretch their legs in a harmless drill. And now you add to these operations by firing upon myself in my own launch that carries not even one machine gun. Anything else, Your Excellency? That is all for the press. And now let me tell you something. Does Your Excellency know that it is my fleet and not his which is blockading this port? Of course, of course. Is Your Excellency aware that he has no rights here whatsoever except such as I choose to allow him? But, uh, And does Your Excellency realize he cannot move, he cannot maneuver, he cannot communicate except by my permission? One would imagine, sir, that you and not I were blockading this harbor. You have no right. I have every right. Tell me, has the Imperial German government decided to make war on the United States? Is that her intention? Do you want war with the United States? You are very near it, sir, and you can have it. You can have it as soon as you like. The next morning, the sun breaks on a cloudless day. Upon the bridge of the Olympia stand two old friends, Captain Chichester of Her Majesty's Navy and Admiral George Dewey, United States Navy. They shield their eyes from the glare as they gaze far out at sea at a line of disappearing warships. Well, Admiral, there they go. Back to Germany or wherever they came from. Yes. And without asking my permission to get underway, as usual. <laughs> uh, before I go, I'd like to tell you a little something uh, strictly confidential, of course. I give you my word, Captain. I had a visit last night from the German Admiral von Dietrich. He came to ask me one question about me, naturally. It was shortly after your delightful conversation with him. He said, Captain Chichester, have you instructions as to your action in the event of actual hostilities between myself and the American squadron? And what did you tell him? I said, of course I did. Then he looked over at me and said, may I ask them to be informed as to the nature of those instructions? You know what I said? I said, Your Excellency, there are only two persons here who know what my instructions are. One of them is myself, and the other is Admiral Dewey. <laughs> Admiral, let me congratulate you again. In all your conduct of this blockade, you haven't made a single mistake. Ah, that's where you're wrong, Captain. I made one. You see those German ships skulking back home with their tails between their legs? <laughs> I should have sunk every one of them. Do you think von Dietrich was recalled? No, no, I don't think so. I think the policy of the German government, Captain, is to keep other powers from getting what they can't get themselves. The United States will need this Navy because our next war will be with Germany. Montgomery and to all members of tonight's Cavalcade cast.
Before we hear from Bob Montgomery, I'd like to remind you of one of the things America has to be thankful for this year. Even with 10 million men in uniform, all well-fed, the rest of us at home still have food to eat. Not many folks would think offhand that dynamite has anything to do with food or the amount of milk that their youngsters get to drink. But linking together two things as different as dynamite and milk comes as no surprise to the men and women of the Third National Exposition of the American Chemical Society, who closed their meeting yesterday in Chicago. For they know dynamite as a chemical lever, a powerful chemical tool, touching our lives at many points. The West Coast has more milk right now because of dynamite. The whole country has more pork because of dynamite. Do you remember those floods you read about in the papers last spring in Iowa? Roads and bridges were washed out. Acres of farmland were covered with flood water. In some districts, vast areas of water had to be drained off within 24 hours if the newly planted crops were to be saved. Now, Gain Whitman knows a lot more about all this, and he's going to tell you how it's done. Heavy mechanical equipment couldn't be used even if it had been available. So county engineers in many places used DuPont dynamite. In Chickasaw County, for instance, a dynamited ditch a mile and a half long reclaimed 300 acres of farmland in hours instead of weeks. In another place where a bridge was damaged by floodwaters that had cut a new channel, DuPont engineers blasted a new channel eight feet deep and 25 feet wide in a few hours. The land was saved for production. It grew corn. The corn was fed to hogs. And you have more pork, thanks to dynamite. About milk. Out in the state of Washington this year, thousands of feet of ditches were dynamited across previously useless or nearly useless lowlands. In one soil conservation district alone, they turned 1,200 additional acres into better pasture land. The pasture land grew grass. The grass fed cows. The cows gave milk and hundreds of additional gallons of milk went to West Coast markets. Where the earth is so wet that you can pick up a handful of mud and squeeze water through your fingers, ditches may be dug with dynamite using the propagation method, as it is called. Sticks of dynamite made just for the purpose are set in the earth in a row. The first stick is exploded, and the water in the soil carries the wall up along and sets off the other sticks one after another. Today, dozens of different types of dynamite for dozens of different jobs are manufactured by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. And now here is Walter Houston. And now, before we hear from Robert Montgomery, I want to take just a moment to say a few things about Bob. Back in 1940, when the war shocked the world, Bob served with the American Field Service as an ambulance driver in France. When that country fell, Bob was commissioned a lieutenant in the United States Navy and was ordered to London. From London, he went to the Pacific, saw action at Munda, Kula, and Guadalcanal, and was with the destroyer squadron in the Normandy invasion. Bob, glad to have you back. Thank you, War. Well, uh, the Sixth War loan teed off today, and I suppose this ex-Navy man ought to fire the heavy guns at you in behalf of war bonds. But I'm sure, I'm sure you can name as many reasons for loading up on war bonds as I can. 
Anyway, all I want us to do is take off my hat to the kind of boys that I've fought beside the last few years. You know, there's a quality about the American boy that stands out when the chips are down and the lead is flying. He just says, the so-and-sos can't do that to me. And brother, he's got what it takes to back that up. I saw this boy of yours back in the hungry days in the South Pacific when we felt like holding a special prayer meeting to thank God that one new fighter plane had just come in. I saw him on D-Day on thousands of ships that your bonds have built under an air cover of thousands of planes that your bonds have built. He knows we at home aren't perfect, not by a long shot. But you know, he still thinks that we're worth dying for. I guess if I had to, I could really lay it on about this American kid. But I'd rather just say that it was a privilege to fight beside him. I know it must be a great privilege for you to stand beside him and buy the rest of the war bonds that will bring him back home to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob. Bob Montgomery. Newspapers we read daily are, well, they're more than just bears of news, opinion, and amusement. They are symbols of a free people, a free press. Fighters for this freedom in our country were many, but outstanding among them was a woman, Anne Royal. Next week on Cavalcade, we bring you Witness for the People, the dramatic story of Anne Royal. Our cavalcade star will be the distinguished actress, Faye Bainter, with Ray Collins as Andrew Jackson. Listen in next Monday to Faye Bainter and Ray Collins in Witness for the People on the Cavalcade of America. Thank you and good evening. conducted by Robert Armbruster. Cavalcade of America is grateful to Ziff Davis Publishing Company for permission to base this dramatization on Lauren H. Healy's and Louis Kuttner's book, The Admiral. This is Gain Whitman inviting you to tune in next week to Witness for the People, starring Faye Bainter with Ray Collins, brought to you by the E.I. DuPont de Nemours and Company of Wilmington, Delaware.